0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit seekingtruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 12 and 13. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. So waiting for the leaven to be revealed, waiting for the Holy Spirit and the understanding and the knowledge and the right judgment and all the gifts He wants to shower the people to make them understand. He is the final leavening agent. Now we're not waiting anymore because it's all been revealed and the Father's final word is Jesus and His perfect sacrifice. We're not waiting anymore. So now we can go back to unleavened bread. It's a done deal. It's a final Passover meal for all. We enter into that same Passover meal And that same sacrifice on the cross, it's unbloodied. It's forever. It's forever. So Paul says, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Come just as you are, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Worship in sincerity and truth. It's what he told the woman at the well when he wanted to pour out the Holy Spirit on her and have her drink the living water of the Holy Spirit. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such the Father seeks to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, the unleavened bread, blessed, broken, shared for all Abraham's children, the unleavened bread, the manna, blessed, broken, shared for all Moses' children, is the same memorial that we share today, the perpetual, forever ordinance of unleavened bread at Mass. It's Jesus. And we're made to understand it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sarah served the Trinity unleavened bread, but the New Testament, the time it takes the Holy Spirit as the leaven to rise our understanding of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this new understanding. So unleavened bread returns to unleavened bread by the power of the Holy Spirit in the transubstantiation when he is called down on the altar and that moment of consecration when it changes to the actual body of Jesus Christ through him, through the Trinity, through him, with him, and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, forever. It's a forever ordinance. Okay. Changing. That was a two line parable. Okay. (laughs) Changing gears. Luke's going to talk about some natural catastrophes. And when a catastrophe happens anywhere in the world, people are going to say, where was God? Where was God in all this? Where was God? And people ask, how can a good God do this to innocent people? I don't want to worship a God like that. That's not my God. You hear that a lot. And so that's what's happening in Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What does that mean? The Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices mean that they were offering sacrifice and Pilate came and killed them. (laughs) Pilate killed them during sacrificial offering, mingled their blood with the sacrifice. That's what happened to St. Oscar Romero, our new saint. He was saying mass and blood. Someone came in and, and executed him and his blood mingled with the sacrifice. And he was martyred while saying mass. Pontius Pilate was the prefect of Rome. Roman emperor Tiberius Caesar had elected Pilate, and Galileans came into violent confrontation with Pilate on more than one occasion, and Pilate had them slaughtered. We see it in Acts 5. Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So there were some present at that time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this? What's the answer? Jesus says, no, 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 I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. God doesn't pick on us. Like he doesn't give me cancer because I'm a bad person, Right. He doesn't make bad things happen to good people on purpose. He says, no, that's not what happened. And he illustrates this with the blind man in John 9. If you remember, this guy was blind from birth. This is how God created him, a man blind from birth. And the disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Why is God punishing him with something he did or his parents? And Jesus said, no, no, it's not that this man sinned or that his parents did, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. God created that man blind. He's born blind. And he's born blind so we can magnify God. When God heals him, it's going to be all glory to God. So another thing they want to know about is 18 were killed. 18 people, This is another catastrophe that happened at their time. 18, Luke's the only one that has it, only 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? Are they really bad people? Is that why it happened to them, Lord? No. Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He's like, don't worry about them, but you. Look at yourselves. The Tower of Siloam was a structure, a real structure. It did fall on 18 people and kill them. It was near the Pool of Siloam. It was uh, in the south of Jerusalem's old city by the Pool of Siloam. There was a tower that was like a watchtower because the Spring of Gion ran through there. And anytime you have water in the Middle East, it's guarded, especially if another army comes in. The first thing they're going to do is cut your water supply. So there would have been a tower guarding the Spring of Gion and the Pool of Siloam. And that tower, they found it, archaeologists have found the Tower of Siloam, the foundation of it, six meters across. Also, Pilate had planned and executed the construction of an aqueduct. And for that, he was using temple tax. That's called Korban. He was using the sacred temple treasury money to do his building projects. And so the people thought, perhaps they're guilty. Maybe that's why God killed the 18 people, because they were using the temple treasury. Jesus said, no. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish. No one knows the day or hour you're going to (laughs) die. No one knows the day or hour. No one knows when you'll breathe your last breath or the Lord will come in his second coming. We don't know. We don't know. But we have to repent or we'll all perish. He's saying, live ready, live clean, live with a pure heart, no duplicity. Don't be a Pharisee. Have truth and sincerity. Be a true disciple. Always live ready to die. There's a woman that died just this week, 56 years old. She had a minor surgery done and never woke up the next morning. Told her husband she wasn't feeling well. They went to bed together. She never woke up. No one knows the day or hour. Always live ready. The priest is wearing purple right now at Mass. We are in Advent season. And just like Lent, Advent is a time to get ready. Be awake. Be watchful. Be alert. Get ready for the Advent of Messiah. He's coming again in glory to judge the living in the world. Or you're going to see him if you die tonight. Sinful Israel was on a broad road leading to destruction. Jesus is going to offer a narrow road. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to me, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. But you have to have a softened heart, and you have to repent. You have to be willing to believe. You can't be so proud and arrogant. You must repent. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts that want repentance. Another parable that he tells is about a fig tree. A man had a fig tree. He planted it in a vineyard, and he came seeking fruit and found none. A fig tree is a beautiful tree in Israel. It's one of the seven species in Deuteronomy 8, the seven species of the land. If you're going to offer a temple offering, you have to bring one of the seven species, the first fruits of wheat, barley, grapes, figs, pomegranates, oil, or dates. So this is one of the seven, only these seven things acceptable in the temple. Hasidic Jews say that the fig tree is the fourth of the seven species and that it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We see in our Western art like the apple tree. They don't have apple trees in Israel. They have fig trees. And we know too from scripture, right after they sinned, immediately they knew they were naked and they covered themselves up with fig leaves right away. So they believe it's a fig tree. And the Israelites say the fig tree did nothing wrong. You know, it just was a fig tree, it was producing figs like it's supposed to. It was Adam that did something wrong. It was the choice Adam made to disobey God and Eve. So the fig tree still is a symbol of Israel. The fig tree is a good tree. And it's symbolic. Every man in a time of peace, for the Israelites, you'll you'll have your own vine, your own grape vineyard, and you'll have your own fig tree. And that's really good if each man can sit under his own vine and his own fig tree. And they have great shade. The rabbis would sit under them to study with their disciples. You know, Nathaniel was found under a fig tree. They have great shade, but the purpose of a fig tree is to do what God created it to do, and that's to produce figs. So when the nation of Israel gets called a fig tree throughout the whole Old Testament, the nation of Israel is created to do what it's supposed to do, right? The purpose of Israel was to bear spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God, fruit that would last. They were made, and Jesus comes in this parable, we can think that Jesus is coming to this fig tree and there's no fruit on it. They're not bearing spiritual fruit. Israel is not doing what it was created to do. Israel is not bearing fruit. It's barren. It's a fig tree with no fruit on it. What were they supposed to do? What were they created to do? They were created to be a people set apart, consecrated to the Lord. They were supposed to show the whole world the God of Israel. So the whole world might know him. They were to be a light to the Gentile nations of God's divine revelation, but they weren't doing it. And so he said to the vine dresser, Lo, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this tree. And I find none. The tree is Israel. They're not bearing fruit. How long is the ministry of Jesus Christ? Three years. So he says, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? It's not bearing fruit. It's not doing what it's created for. And he said, he answered him, let it alone, sir. This year also till I dig about it and put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if it does not, then you can cut it down. Now in all the other synoptics, the tree is immediately Jesus curses it and it withers and it's gone. You know, they come back out and it's 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 totally withered. But in Luke's gospel, the gospel of mercy and the gospel of the holy spirit, in this account, he gives another chance, a whole another year. Let's put manure on it. Let's try one more chance, one more chance. Give it a little more time. This is mercy manure. This is mercy manure. I need that in my life. Preaching and teaching and allowing more time to bear fruit. So he's allowing more time. Wait with patience. Give it one year, one year, just one more year, one more chance. But they still didn't bear fruit. And that fig tree was cut down in 70 AD. In fact, he gave not just another year, but another 40 years for them to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit, the leaven. Christianity is the new fig tree, folks. This is us. How much fruit are you bearing for the kingdom of God? Eternal fruit, fruit that will last. Souls that you're helping know about Jesus. Souls that that you're helping learn because now this is us. If we're not doing it, we're going to be cut down. This is what we're created for as Christians. So bear eternal fruit so you don't get cut down. Okay, one more. He's teaching in a synagogue and it's on the Sabbath. And there's a woman who has a spirit of infirmity for eight years. 18 years. Now that's a long time. She's bent over. She can't fully straighten herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and he said to her, Woman, you are free from your infirmities. He just said the word. She's been crippled 18 years. And numbers always mean something in the Bible, right? 18 years. Can you figure it out? 18 years. That's a new number. Jesus laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made straight after 18 years. And she praised God. Can you imagine? It's a spirit of infirmity, but the ruler of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. There are six days you can work and that's when work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed old lady, old humped over lady. Come on the other days, not on the Sabbath. Isn't it ridiculous? She's just been set free, this beautiful healing on the Sabbath day when God wanted us to have rest. It's the the perfect seven covenant. This is when he wants her to have rest and refreshment and renewal and rejuvenation. It's just their hypocrisy. It's just amazing. And the Lord said, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your ass from the manger and lead it to the water to drink? And ought not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, from whom Satan... for 18 years. Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. Satan has her bound for 18 years. It's still Satan's kingdom. He's the prince of the world. Jesus is changing all that. Satan had bound her for 18 years. It was Satan's kingdom. He was under her rule and domination. It's a spirit of infirmity, an evil spirit. What is the number of Satan? Six, six, six. Six plus six plus six for eight years she's been bound by Satan Satan's kingdom Satan's dominion Satan's rule but now there's a new kingdom in town and there's a new king and they both can't rule it doesn't work that way in kingdoms Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom he's taking dominance and authority he heals the crippled woman and all the Pharisees were put to shame they were humiliated and the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by Jesus Do you think that went over well with the Pharisees? It's increasing and increasing and increasing the hatred. And he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed. The mustard seed is a teeny, tiny, tiniest little seed. It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. So that tiniest little seed in the Middle East turns into one of the biggest, bushiest trees. It grows and grows and grows till it becomes a tree, one of the biggest trees in the land. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It started out really, 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 really small with an incarnate little baby, and even smaller than that with an embryo at the moment of the Annunciation, the Incarnation, when the Word was made flesh in Mary's womb. that tiny, two cells, and now it's 1.28 billion people the kingdom of god on earth and more it started small tiny 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 and grew big 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 then he tells him about the narrow door there's a narrow door watch for the narrow door don't go through the big fat door go through the narrow door but the big fat one's easier <laughs> it's the road to destruction is wide but the other road is really narrow and it's uphill on a steep incline so he tells him about the narrow door he went on his way through the towns and villages teaching and journeying towards jerusalem And someone said to him, Lord, this is an important question. They want to know this. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Is it just going to be a few people or is it going to be many? Is it going to be everybody? Lord, you came to save, right? Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Not everyone is going to get to heaven. That is a lie. That is called universal salvation. That is not true. That's a heresy. And your salvation is not assured. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, St. Paul says, until the very end, until the last breath we take, Satan would like to steal your soul. He's a thief and a robber. So that's a heresy. Listen what Jesus says. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. I don't know you. Who are you? You've never spoken to me. <laughs> I don't know you. It's just like Noah. This is a prediction. This is a this is a foreshadowing. This is a typology. Noah, for years and years and years and years, he's building this ark and telling the people, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. The Lord's going to do this. He's going to do this. And now, silly old man. Then the rain starts and it doesn't stop. 40 days, 40 nights. Then they're knocking on the door. Noah, Noah. No, no, Noah, Noah, please open the door. That's the scripture. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you'll begin to stand outside and to knock at the door. Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will answer you, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. I don't know you people. Who are you? Never saw you at Seeking Truth. (laughs) In Matthew 25, there's a parable of 10 virgins. Same idea, five have oil, five don't. What's the oil in the Bible always? The Holy Spirit, Five have developed their life with Jesus. They pray to the Holy Spirit, they're full of the Holy Spirit, the others are empty. They have to go on their way to buy oil because they didn't cultivate it in their lifetime. And the bridegroom arrives, and the virgins who were ready went into the banquet, and guess what? They shut the door. And later the others came and said, "Lord, Lord, 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 open the door for us." And he replied, "Truly, I tell you, I don't know you." You never had any oil with me. You never had the leaven of the Holy Spirit in your body. You never let me fill you up. You never asked me to shower you with that gift. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or hour. So everyone's not getting in. And I know that's scary. It seems scary and it seems scary for our kids, but like we don't know everything, but we know what this word says. He says, I got to know you. I got to know you. Not everyone's getting in. When the door is shut, it's shut. Time's up, time's up. No one knows the day or hour, but when the time's up, the time's up. And don't say, Sharon didn't tell us this part. I'm telling you, because we don't hear this very often. And this is what Jesus Christ says. And it's out of love, I'm telling you, because we have time. We have time to cultivate our life with him. We have time to tell our kids about him. We have time to tell our grandkids about him. It's by the grace of the Holy Spirit that our hearts will be convicted. We have time to pray to the Holy Spirit, to stir up his grace in our kids. They've been claimed for Christ the moment of their baptism. They were sealed for him for the day of salvation by the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Keep persistent in your prayer. Ask, and it'll be given to you. The thing the Father wants to give you the most is the Holy Spirit. Seek, and you will find, because he's the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to take you there. Knock. The door will be opened. He won't say, I don't know you. Knock. And he'll say, come on in. I know you. Let's go. You'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I'll tell you. I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, you sinners. There you will weep and gnash your teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And yourselves will be thrust out. And men will come from east, west, north, south, and sit at the table of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He first told the nation of Israel, and some of them didn't believe it. They refused. That's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. They refused to believe. They lived them. They saw all the miracles. They had 3,000 baptized that day. The whole town was shaking, the wind, the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, uh-uh, I don't believe. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So first were the Jews. Some of them didn't buy it. Then the Gentiles were given the chance to come in. Now the Gentiles have to convince the Jews. Now it's our turn. How are we doing? How many here are Jewish? See, we got to invite some Jewish friends. Then he tells the rich fool, and listen to this quote, some people are so poor, how poor are they? They're so poor that all they have is money. Amen. Some people are so poor that all they have is money. Jesus said, take heed and beware of all covetousness. For a man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Covetousness is an inordinate desire for wealth or possessions or another person's possessions. It's one of the 10 commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So he tells a parable saying that a land of a rich man brought forth plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do for, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my old barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. For this very night your soul is required of you, and all the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Eat, drink, and be merry. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Tomorrow may never come. That's a false, false, false philosophy, because tomorrow will come, and no one knows the day or hour, and one day we will all stand before the Lord. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten before God. Sparrows are nothing, and I know each one. Scientists tell us the average person's head has 150,000 hair follicles or more. He knows how many are on your, and your, and your, he's that particular, and you are that unique to him. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. And you're so beautiful. Look at my flowers. Look at my lilies. Look how beautiful they are. And they're here today, gone tomorrow. Think how much more I love you. Think how much more you are beautiful to me. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Paul tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. We will all stand to the Romans before the judgment seat of God. It's written, as long as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall praise God. So each of us shall give an account of himself to God. We will all stand there face to face with God and he will know us as we fully are. And he will see the inner heart, the one we don't show other people. And he will know us as we really, really are face to face. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's kind of scary. It's called the unpardonable or unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But St. Luke helps us to understand. He shows us at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it was the Holy Spirit that was the leaven that illumined their minds and made everything make sense. And the Holy Spirit was just as available to these guys as it was to everyone else. Fell upon the whole city of Jerusalem in that upper room and just went out. 3,000 were baptized that day, 3,000 Jews. You think these guys didn't know what was going on? The high priest arrested Peter and John. The Lord opened the prison doors, let them out, told them to go back to the temple and keep preaching the Words of Life, capital L. And they find out that they've escaped and they say, go get those men and bring them here. And they take them without violence because they're afraid that the people are going to stone them. They bring them before the council. The high priest questions them. We charged you not to teach, not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're going to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles, they don't care kill us. We must obey God rather than men. They know what the Holy Spirit has illuminated to them. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. You killed him. You hung him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand of the Father and to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, is telling them right out. They know. They saw all the miracles. Peter's telling them to repent, repent, repent. We're witnesses to these things. So is the Holy Spirit of God, who has been given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. They're enraged, and they want to kill these guys. They won't believe it. They refuse to believe it. They're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That's a sin. It's your own choice to do it. God gives you that freedom. You do not have to believe, but that's you're condemning yourself by his own words. Okay, Stephen does the same thing. When he's being martyred, he's full of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You won't believe. It's the sin against the Holy Spirit. Hardness of heart that leads to eternal loss. Last thing, there's this beautiful church in Jerusalem, and. It's where Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and wept over Jerusalem. Because Jesus doesn't want us to perish. He came that we might be saved. He came that we might have life and have it to the abundance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And there's church there. And you can look out the window over the city of Jerusalem where he wept for the people. And he says, oh, 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 oh. This is how much he loves us. He gives us this beautiful image of how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't come. You wouldn't listen. This is what he wants. He wants to take you as a little chick under his wing. He wants your kids and your grandkids. He wants to keep you all safe and warm right next to his heart. And he weeps because he loves us so much. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. So we can't resist the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for this word tonight, this living word, this active word, like active leaven, full of the Holy Spirit, the author. And you want to raise this leaven in us. You want us full of the Holy Spirit so we can one day rise again in a glorified body and live with you forever. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you reveal to us through Luke, this beautiful gospel of mercy and the Holy Spirit. You just heard the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke, chapters 12 and 13, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.